Father, you've called us here today to remind us that you're our God, that you not only have created us and given life to us, but to all that we see and all that exists. And to remind us, dear God, you did all that with purpose and that you're still working your purpose out at this very moment. And to remind us, dear God, that you're going to bring that purpose to a conclusion one day. And those of us by grace who know you as our Savior will be invited to spend eternity in your presence. And Lord, you affirm that for us in so many ways. For your Holy Spirit has descended on us. And your Holy Spirit makes real and new and guides us in all that is true. It's a miracle, Lord, that we believe what we believe. But we do it because of the change that you have made in us. What a gift you've given us. The opportunity to have a heartfelt passion for you. Lord, on behalf of all of us, I want to apologize to you. For so often we forget that passion. So often we give our passion to someone else or to something else. And only one person can sit or one thing on the throne of our heart. I want you to forgive us, Lord, because there are a lot of times we go through a day or a series of days or a week or even longer when we don't invite you to take over our life as the Lord of our life. And I want you to forgive us, Lord, and help us to do better in the future. Father, as we look around in our church, there are a lot of people who are struggling with all sorts of ailments, with concerns, with challenges. And as we look outside of our church and our community and around our country and around our world, we see all sorts of hardship and pain. We see some things that are both ugly and things that I know break your heart. We call out to you, Lord, and ask for your help. Help us never to lose our hope and our faith, but let them be rooted in you. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens that's authored by the evil one, help us to remember through the power of your Holy Spirit that you are God and that the one who is in us is far greater than the one who's in this world. I ask your blessing on us that we might be a blessing to others. I thank you for all of the opportunities of our life. You've been so gracious to us. You have loved us through Jesus and you've loved us through your Holy Spirit. And our whole life is engulfed in that love. Help us to find joy in you, Father. 
Help us to find the companionship that we so desire in you. And help us to tell other people about what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into a special time of communication between us and you. Please now continue to bless us and help us as we worship. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. The Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. And we're going to begin our study with the 5th verse. And we're going to study through the 15th. And I want you to know, I realize that we have moved about 15 minutes beyond where we are usually at this point in our worship, and I'll be sensitive to that and not preach any more than I had intended to preach. (laughs) So by the grace of God, this is going to be okay. The 16th chapter of the Gospel of John. If you would, put your finger in your Bible and hold your place, and let's get some help before we start. Let's pray. It's a special time, Lord, when you come and speak to us as a group. You recorded your word through faithful men inspired by your Holy Spirit to say precisely what you wanted said, each in their own unique way. But the message is now before us. When you spoke to John's heart, Lord, you spoke to his heart with the intention that we would be here today on this particular Sunday and that you would speak to us individually. I pray for the empowering of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply it to us. And I pray, dear God, that as we take it personally, that we take it home and that we'd allow it to be the guide for our life this next week. So bless this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's fair to say that some of you had the same experience that I had growing up, and and part of that experience was that I was taught, particularly by my father, that when you give your word, you keep your word. Were you taught that? And that a man or a woman was judged their character by their willingness to do what they said they were going to do. That lesson you learned? I was also taught as years went by, and I found the challenges in that, to think about what I was going to promise before I promised it. And Dad had a way of reminding me of that. And then to take very seriously what the scriptures say, that our yes ought to be yes and our no ought to be no. And suddenly I began to realize that spiritually God wanted us to make promises. And when we make those promises, if a better deal comes along or a better offer or something that looks sweeter, we shouldn't change our mind and not do what we said and do something else because when we do that, we in some way are denying that God is sovereign. And we're saying, Lord, I can figure this out by myself. 
and I'm going to pick and choose, and if somebody offers me a better deal, I'll discard these and I'll go that direction. And that is the great temptation that we all face. I think I've noticed something that's pretty consistent in our world today. I think I've witnessed it in politics, in the business world, and just with folks generally, that folks don't keep their promises anymore. Some do, but lots of folks don't. A lot of people will tell us what they think we want to hear with no intention of following through at all just to make us happy for the moment. Have you noticed that? The concern I have is that that says something about their character. My concern also about that is that it causes us, when we open the scriptures, to maybe have a question and say, is God going to keep his promise? He's made all kinds of promises to us. And if you read through the promises So many of them have already been fulfilled precisely as he said he was going to do things. There are a few promises that have still been made to us that have not fully been realized. He has promised what the Holy Spirit is going to do during our lifetime, and we're living that out. He has promised that his son Jesus is coming again. Let there be no doubt. God keeps his promises. He has promised that if we know his Son as our personal Lord and Savior, that we shall be in heaven and spend eternity with him. Now, is God going to keep all those promises? Our Bible teaches, and I learned a word in seminary I don't get to use very often. He's immutable. He doesn't change his mind. He makes a promise. He keeps his promise. So when we read the word of God, we know he's going to keep his promise. And by faith, you and I ought to believe that every day of our life. What I have before us today is one of those promises. And it deals with the Holy Spirit. And I would like you to follow along as I read from the Gospel of John, starting with the 16th chapter. And listen to the promise God makes. Listen carefully, my friends. God is about to speak to us. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Put this in context for just a moment. Jesus and his disciples have come into Jerusalem. It's the beginning of the last week of his life. And don't you imagine he wanted to go back and say, now, you know, you've been walking with me for three and a half years. You've watched me do miracles. You've watched me heal. You've watched my attitude. You've learned from me. I have taught you. And now what I want to do, compressed in this last week, is every time I have an opportunity, I want to do a little summary of what I've already said to you or taught you. So much wanting them to get it. Not so much to get it at that moment. But for them, when the Holy Spirit moves on them at Pentecost, to be able to look back and say, you know, he said that to us. He has already explained that. And then under the power of the Spirit, to be able to retrieve all these lessons and to then apply them in their own life. So when I read this, what I am seeing is I'm seeing our Lord saying, come on, let's do this again now. I want you to get it. I want you to have it as a resource. If you look at the fifth and sixth verses, he simply repeats a message that he's already said. But I want you to look at how he has compressed so many things into just a few words. He says to his disciples, but now I'm going to him who has sent me. On two other occasions, Jesus had sat with his disciples and said, let me tell you what's coming. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be punished. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now here a third time he says, let me tell you what's going to happen. But he has added something else this time. He says, it's going to happen right now. It's imminent. And what he's saying is, before this week is over, that which I've been telling you about is going to take place. And he said, I'm not just going to die. I'm not just going to be put in a tomb. But he's telling them again, I'm going to be raised from the dead because I'm going to go back to the one who sent me. God didn't come up with an idea when he saw the terrible condition of his world in its fallen state and say, oh, I've got to fix that. I think I'll send Jesus. It's not what he did. From the very beginning of creation, Jesus was with him. There was the intention to have a remedy to the dilemma that we call sin. And he was sent by God at exactly the right moment in human history to accomplish something for us we cannot and would not have accomplished. That he might come sinless and die for us that you and I might live. And it's interesting, when you talk about what Jesus has done, you don't look at the human history and say, well, it's going to climax because he's going to die for our sins and everything's going to be okay. Instead, he puts it at the center of the human experience. And people in the Old Testament look forward by faith to the coming of a Messiah. 
those of us in the New Testament era look back using the same faith in saying he has come. What a plan. What a wonderful plan. And Jesus says, one of the elements of the plan is I'm going to go back where I came from. I'm going to go back to the Heavenly Father who sent me. The sending is important. The sending is important because for you and I to have any hope of eternal life, God had to do something to interrupt the sin cycle that all of us are caught in. And what he did out of love for us is he sent his only begotten son that we might believe in him and in believing in him that we might have an absolute assurance that our sins have been atoned for. You got some pretty good sins in the closet? Some of us do, don't we? Don't we have some things we'd like to forget about? Don't we have some people that we've not treated right that we would like to just kind of forget we did that? Aren't there some decisions that we've made that we know displease God? Aren't there some temptations and some urges that you struggle with even now that you know don't please God? Well, God understood every bit of that. And before there was any sign at all that we were going to going to be regenerated he sent his son he said I'm going to love you and I'm going to flip a switch in you and make it possible for you to love me back and then through the death of his son those terrible sins that you want to block out aren't blocked out they are covered over with the blood of Christ they are atoned for my friends He came with purpose, and he accomplished his purpose. Folks, if you've got something that you're hanging on to and you're feeling guilty about, put it at the bottom of the cross today. That's what Jesus came for. Turn it over to him, and then live the kind of life as very best you can that he wants you to live this day and in the days to come. For he has already provided the means for that. He says to his disciples, I'm going to him who sent me. And yet none of you ask, where are you going? Well, if you read back just a little bit earlier, you'll see that Jesus has already explained to him where he's going. But I keep getting the sense I didn't get it because he keeps telling them again. Any of you have that experience? I have to learn things over and over and over. You know, you can have all kinds of degrees. You can have all kinds of experiences. People can look up to you, can have positions that are important positions, and still not get some of the essentials. Have you learned that? Well, they didn't get it. He's saying, now, you know, you didn't even ask, where am I going? He wants them to understand what he has done for them, and he wants you and I to understand what he has done. If you look at the seventh verse, he tells us the promise a promise he has already kept now because he started to deliver on that promise at Pentecost. And he continues to deliver today. He says to us, but I tell you the truth, unequivocally the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. What a beautiful promise. He's saying, now, let me tell you, there's an advantage in me leaving, and there's an advantage to you, and that is that I'm going to send my helper. You know, he could have called the Holy Spirit a lot of things in this place. Instead, he called him the helper. And when I start thinking about that title, I think about the Holy Spirit proceedeth from Jesus and proceedeth from God, and he is one and the same, the same in substance. He is God. He's not an it. He is the Holy Spirit. And when he comes to help, he is Jesus with us. Jesus walked through what we know as the Holy Land. And when he would see someone in need, did he pass them by? Or did he stop and reach out? No matter what his agenda was, no matter what the expectations of his disciples and followers, he would stop. And he would reach out and he would touch. And he would love on those. And now Jesus is saying, I'm giving my Holy Spirit the helper to continue doing for you what I did when I was on earth. Lo, I will be with you always until I come again. How does he do that? He does that by being the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us. So frequently I hear people well-intentioned in a prayer say, please, dear God, send your Holy Spirit. And I want to say, excuse me, excuse me, but I don't because we're praying. Excuse me, he's already done that if you know Jesus. It's already happened. He's already kept his promise to you. His Holy Spirit already dwells in you, and he's there to help you and be your companion and do a multitude of other things that Jesus would do if Jesus was here holding your hand. Do you understand? He says, so I've got to leave so this can happen. And he left. He rose from the dead and went back to God. And his Holy Spirit has come. And my friends, if you know Jesus as your Savior, as you sit there this morning, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And you don't need to be filled up. You need to move the stuff out of the way so he can rise up in you because he's already there. So the promise has been made. If you look down in verses 8 through 12, there's a description of what the Holy Spirit is doing. This is not a comprehensive list. This is not all that the Holy Spirit's all about. But these are some really critical things. He says, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict. You know, if the Holy Spirit hadn't come on us, we wouldn't have been convicted of anything spiritual. Wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have been interested. We'd be convicted that we need to be wealthier. We'd be convicted that there's some place on this earth we haven't been and we're going to go. We'd be convicted there's something we desire and we're going to get it. That's the kind of human conviction that fills people's lives. That's not what he's saying. He says the Holy Spirit has come and brought us under conviction that we are sinners. Some of you remember when you didn't get it, when you didn't understand you were a sinner. You know what was missing? 
the Holy Spirit hadn't come to you. I can remember that in my adult life. And I'm thankful for that. I was sitting in Sunday school this morning listening to a good lesson that was being taught. And and the topic came up about, as I filtered it, came up about how we came to know Christ. And a couple of folks said that they had known him all their life. Someone after class said that to me. Well, I'd known about him all my life. I could even quote some of it. I didn't know him. And I can look back and I know when the Holy Spirit brought me under conviction. And I remain under conviction, do you? Sin is now repulsive. Sin is something that you and I know doesn't belong in a person who loves Jesus. And he causes us with that conviction to want to be rid of that sin. Scripture teaches an interesting lesson. It says you need to crucify that sin once you know it's there. Do you realize how painful and how long crucifixion takes? He's saying it's not going to be easy, but I want you under the power of the Holy Spirit to confront the sin in your life now that you're under conviction, and I want you to start to squeeze the very life out of it and not let it have a part in you. Can you personalize that? Squeeze the life out of it. That's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. He's come to bring us under conviction, to teach us that we're sinners and we need a Savior, and at the same time to enable us to resist that sin the rest of our life. He says the second thing, that the Spirit has come concerning righteousness. And it's interesting the way he says it. In verse 10 he says, And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer will see me. I read that verse two or three times and was trying to remember from previous studies. And, And then suddenly I recalled, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, you know, unrighteous people looked at me and called me unrighteous. They had me arrested. They charged me with things that were unrighteous things. They made me do things that were terribly painful and humiliating. And they took me out, and as an unrighteous person in their eyes, they nailed me to a cross that I might die. And I was buried in their eyes as an unrighteous person and sealed in a tomb. He said, but I've gone to the Father. And what he's saying is, that which people deemed unrighteous was not unrighteous at all. Because God does not allow unrighteousness in his presence. And God raised me from the dead and brought me into his presence. And he's saying what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit helps the believer to understand that Jesus did no sin. That Jesus was mistreated and killed by unrighteous people. You know, the Jews get credit for that. Roman authorities ought to get credit for that also. You know who else ought to get credit for that? Why? Because we were sinners. And he came and died for us. But he was righteous. 
And the Holy Spirit helps us understand that because he raised him from the dead and God took him back into his arms. He says, thirdly, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of judgment. And he says, particularly, the evil one, Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel. He said, he's already been judged. Well, you know, Satan doesn't seem to know that. Have you noticed? And there are a lot of people who don't seem to know that the one they're following has already been judged by God. And now what's being said is, we who are believers under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit know something some other folks don't know. We know that when Jesus comes again, that judgment is going to be exercised and the evil one is going to be bound and he's going to be thrown into brimstone and fire for eternity. Those who resist the imagery of hell being a place of torment have missed the point. That judgment has already been issued. And if we do not know Jesus, it will not be a pleasant experience. So, what has the Holy Spirit done? Three of the things is he's come to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, saying those things have already taken place. If you look down at verses 13 through 15, you'll see he says very simply, he's come to be our guide. I have a friend who works with the blind and teaches them how to use one of those sticks, canes, teaches them how to create an environment they can get around in. And to do that, he guides them. He leads them. He teaches them. And what he's saying is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is he's come to guide you. Guide you into the truth. All the things that are true. You know, there are a lot of things out there that are espoused to be true that are not true. People say all kinds of things. People write all kinds of things on the Internet. And if you open up your Internet and you start browsing and you start reading some of that stuff, every now and then you run into something you just know is absolutely not true. Someone sent me an article just recently condemning someone else, and I sent them an article back and said, please, be discerning. I don't think what you read is true. And I refuted it. There's a lot of untruth around So what he's promised is that the spirit that dwells in us, that is his spirit, loves us so much, he's going to help us be discerning. He's going to help us weave through all of this stuff that's around us and for us to be able to grasp the truth. And that truth, John tells us in 8.32, will set us free. So there's purpose to all of this. He also tells us in this verse that he'll help us to glorify him. I think it's real interesting, and I don't know where we want to go with this, but if you look at the way we have grouped ourselves in our country and around the world, sometimes in denominations, sometimes in independent churches, we have a tendency as people when we gather together to focus on one person of the Trinity and not all three. And there are entire denominations that do that. 
There are denominations that focus on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Typically, we call them Pentecostals. Well, I want you to know that beginning in the early 1900s, they began a presence in this culture of ours, and they have outgrown all other groups of Christians in America. And they are one of the few groups, not all of them, but some of their denominations that are still growing energetically at this moment, while the rest of the Christendom has gotten smaller in this country. Pentecostals. How about the Baptist? They focus on the second person of the Trinity. They focus on Jesus. Sometimes not talking about the Spirit, sometimes not talking about God the Father. They do a good job of doing that. You know who we focus on? We focus on the Father. We approach Him intellectually. And I heard someone quite appropriately said in Sunday school this morning, that's why we're known as the frozen chosen. But you see, we've grouped ourselves, and it's almost like I prefer to think about one person of the Trinity and not all three. And all three are God. And when we start to focus on all three in here, we will glorify Jesus in a whole new way. I'd like us to be Pentecostal. You know how I'd like us to do that? Just come in here and praise the Lord. We have so much to praise Him for. I'm not talking about any particular way. Just come in and just let our heart blend into His and love Him just a little bit like He's loved us. And you know what will happen? It will put a smile on our face. And we'll walk out of here knowing we've been in the presence of God while we are thinking about Him and educating ourselves and while we are amplifying Jesus for what He's done. It's all three. And what He's saying to us is the Holy Spirit's come to help us glorify. Now, did I just say we're going to become a Pentecostal church? Don't go there. Did I say we're going to be a Baptist church? Please don't go there. We're Presbyterians. We just ain't going to be quite so frozen. God wants us to walk with him and to be close to him. And he said, come, let my Holy Spirit have freedom to work in you. And something very beautiful happens when we experience more of the fullness of the purpose of God. Does God keep his promise? You're living evidence he keeps promises. Is he keeping the promise about the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. And now it's left to us to allow him the freedom to operate in our lives. Do you understand? It was so important that the last week of his life, Jesus talked to his disciples about it again. It's important for us. Let's pray together. Father, we have been blessed by you. You worked a miracle in our life, Lord. You've allowed us, who were trapped by sin and destined for eternal damnation, instead you have allowed us 
to become your adopted children. With all the benefits that were promised to Jesus, that he would not just die, but that he would be raised from the dead as we shall be. And that he would go into your presence, which we shall do. Because, dear God, you've worked that miracle in us. And you've given your spirit to us. Might we enjoy your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good place to be on Sunday? It is, isn't it? You know, if you and I walk out of here today with that smile that I see on your face, it just might touch somebody else. They might even ask you about it. And if they do, you have something to tell them. Tell them about the Jesus that you know and about the Holy Spirit and what he's done for you. I pray God's richest blessings on all of us until we meet again. I pray that wherever you go, you'd feel his presence and that you would radiate that to somebody else. God bless you and God keep you and may his face shine on you today, tomorrow, and all the days of your life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.